Hello and welcome to another episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast presented by The Inner Sanctum. Well, if another former member of Sydney FC's youth program scores against them in the A-League, are the Sky Blues better off just shutting down their academy altogether? Sure, Zach Sapsford was only there for a few months, but that's still long enough for it to be funny at least, and his lone goal was the difference in the Sydney derby. There's more stadium frustration as Central Coast nabbed their first win of the season in the relocated F3 derby, whilst the Raw and Glory did battle on a big patch of mud at Suncorp Stadium. Victory come back at the death as they and MacArthur keep their undefeated starts alive, albeit sitting fifth and sixth on the table. Wellington did a great job of getting potential fans for their new rivals excited with a win over City in Auckland, and Adelaide go even younger as they bounce back in Ballarat. We'll explain why the Bulls have relocated a home game to Thailand and pay tribute to former Socceroos manager Terry Venables. My name is Lachlan Abel and joining me on the show today is Antonis Paganus. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me back. A couple of weeks it's been we're talking about it off there, so yeah, good to be back on. It is good to have you back indeed. And Christian Montz again, good afternoon. Hey Lockie, good to chat some more football soon. Absolutely. Well, it was a fascinating weekend of football in the A-League, that is for sure. And the headline piece, as it usually is, was the Sydney Derby. It finished Sydney FC nil, Western Sydney Wanderers won. And uh, Christian, I mentioned Zach Sassford, former, you know, people have been saying former Sydney FC youth product. I think uh, our special guest on last week's podcast, Neil Simons, would have something to say about that. He spent a lot of his career at Hakoa. Uh, and only a few months at Sydney FC, but he was the difference for the Wanderers in this game. And 28,000 fans in the stadium, it's always one of the marquee fixtures of our league, and it didn't disappoint. Yeah, definitely. I mean, leading up to this game, you could definitely feel the tension building, whether you know, you're invested in the game or not. And you know, that speaks volumes to the rivalry that these two clubs have you know, been able to create for what's only been, what, a decade old now? So. I mean, we knew the recent history coming into the clash and the atmosphere inside the stadium with around 28,000, as you mentioned, Lockie, absolutely sensational from start to finish, which is you know, definitely what the competition was crying out for at a time which and many feel as though it's a period of uncertainty, I'd say, with you know, un- unconvincing crowd numbers and what have you in other games, which is a discussion for later on. But you know, speaking of the actual game, I think after 10 minutes, it was about 10 or 11 fouls committed. So it just shows what a cagey sort of opening affair it was. And that's expected, obviously, in a, such a big derby like the Sydney derby, obviously. Um, for me, the biggest derby, you know, Australia head and shoulders at the moment, even above Melbourne. Yeah, I mean, for Sydney, I mean, against Adelaide, we said how it's expected to see, you know, a response from, a, a response from them after, you know, a new coach coming in. But, you know, what's difficult sometimes is actually, you know, keeping that momentum and not just, you know, experiencing a short sugar hit. And, now, the recent international break probably caught them at a bad time for them in that respect. But, yeah, I mean, Borello also got taken off early. He was injured. I think reports coming out, I think it's a bone fracture in his foot. So, I mean, two months out before the Asian Cup, a bit worrying signs for him. So, obviously, wish him all the best. Um, and then, yeah, second half, Talley decided to make four subs before the 70th minute mark, which... I thought it was interesting. And then in the end, the cost them when obviously the Wanderers scored shortly after through Sapsford, um, as you mentioned, the, another Sydney youth product, which the Sky Blues have let go. And obviously from there, it's you know, it's difficult to change the game and personnel from that point forward. So, so yeah, the RBB go home, the happy of the two passionate fan bases. 
And Turner's obviously these things happen in football. People move clubs and they play for different teams. But it's it's almost remarkable how often this has happened to Sydney FC. In the last 12 months alone, Marco Tilio for Melbourne City, Calum Ewenhoff scored in the derby, of course, last season as well against them. What are they what are they doing? They're letting all their talent go scoring goals against them. Well, even before it's not just uh, about the goals as well. Before that you have the Cam Devlins, the Marco Tilios moving clubs succeeding and moving on to bigger and better things. And, you know, I mentioned um, in another podcast yesterday, actually, that if you don't use them, you lose them. And that's what Sydney FC is dealing with. And, you know, they do have the nickname of Bling FC, that traditionally you go and buy these top players and they perform. But it's not a sustainable model in this league because they're not always going to be out there. The, your old players will get older. They will move on. So you have to be able to find a balance between that. And look, the Wanderers have some great youth facilities as well. And I don't think they use them much either. I think they just take Sydney's and just chuck them <laughs> there and then just promote them. So, but yeah, fair play to them because someone has to take advantage of it. We saw last year with Nectra Triantis, who was both at Sydney and Wanderers, who wasn't used. So if you're not going to use them, if there's talent there, someone's going to find it. And I feel like our league needs that. Our league needs to punish clubs that neglect those players. So, yeah, I was very glad to see Zach Sapsford take the opportunity. Like Christian said, you never like seeing anyone go down there and learn a socceroo. But what an opportunity for Zach Sapsford to just go on and just like a senior Yankee last year, basically announce himself at this huge event. And as you mentioned, Christian, about those subs, not completely convinced uh, about their effect or their logic at the time. And you see Ryan Grant that comes on a right back once again, like about three weeks ago, goes in for a challenge that's pretty unnecessary at the time. It felt like someone else was covering that position and suddenly that right side's completely free. And yeah, the rest is history. Well, he's made for, you know, like-for-like changes, if you will. I think, you know, defender for defender, midfielder for midfielder. I guess at that stage, it was still nil all. So you can't really blame him in that sense. But at the same time, I mean, there's not much positive, I guess, thinking you know, to try and win the game. I think he was sort of settling more for a point. I don't know about you, though. Again, it was a bit of a rough start for Zach De Jesus, but I think he actually grew into the game. I don't, I didn't see the logic in hooking him at half-time. And on the other side of things, I, I know he missed a few chances, but I feel like Jane Kucharski was the liveliest player wearing sky blue all night. And, yeah, I felt like when they pulled him, I'm like, you're looking for goals? Yeah. And I don't know, I, obviously, like we said, he didn't miss those chances, but he looked up just about like the only guy wearing sky blue that was going to make something happen on the night. So yeah, I was a bit thrown off by that change. Christian, this fixture is so interesting for a number of reasons. And, and one of the main ones, I think, is the, the managers behind it. And particularly Marco Rudan. We've seen in the last you know couple of years since he's taken charge at Wanderers, you know, this real kind of feeling of, downtrodden West kind of rising up to the beat Sydney, or at least that's the narrative that he seems to be perpetuating. I think we need more managers like this in the league because what he's done is he's elevated the angst and, and the divide behind the fixture 
and it's led to more enthralling, more interesting games of football to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's football at the end of the day. It's a derby. Like he does so well in sort of bringing that crowd environment back into sort of that atmosphere. I think that's what's been missing a bit the last couple of years before his arrival. You know, again, the RBB back, you know, sort of, you know, in the angst of it, like you said, it's it just, yeah, it creates that real good environment that, you know, I think it's been missing for a couple of seasons. And you know, even Steve Corrick, obviously we know he's left you know, a few weeks ago, but even him, like that rivalry between him and Rude and that was just, it was kind of special. It was like one of the highlights of the season last year, along with, you know, Ninkovic controversy, the rest. So, yeah, I mean, this derby, it always lives up to the hype. It's, yeah, it's great entertainment. And as so it goes back to what we were saying a couple of weeks ago about these clubs not just being franchises that exist because the A-League say they do, but they actually represent something. And that's exactly what Western Sydney is about. This is why this national second tier is so important because it's not just another X amount of clubs coming in. There's a point of difference there. There are those relationships with, these clubs that are friendly with each other or those clubs that completely hate each other that goes much more than 90 minutes of football. This runs deep in Sydney, as the coaches will tell us every single time, especially Marco Rodan. It's not a bit overplayed at times. It's not as extreme in the year 2023. But the important thing is people buy into it. Every time those quotes come up, people will engage with it. People will make it part of the headline. And that's all you need, you know? It runs much deeper than 90 minutes of football. And that's what football is about. It's not just about the people kicking the ball. It's the stories behind it. You need that. This is what our league needs. We need more storylines. There's nothing worse than an uneventful weekend of football on the surface. For us, we always have stuff to talk about because we've got nothing better to do. (laughs) We look for these things. We talk about these things. But it's just about us. It's for the... Average football fan that may not be in the A-League or may be casually observing, what's going to drag them in? And this is these real storylines, these real rivalries. Give them something to genuinely care about. And like Christian said, this is what makes this derby for one of the best known in Australian football, the Australian sport. And, you know, you can't tell me, I don't know, Carlton Richmond is this. You know, they don't hate each other like this. You know, it's Apple's... And oranges, it's completely different. It's the way people engage with the people, the way people go about it. It's completely different. And it's what we've got that's unique. And we need to embrace it more and create more of that. Not hate, but stories. Make people care about. And from a footballing sense as well, this is a great win for Western Sydney. You know, just from that perspective, they've gone away from home in one of their toughest games of the year. They've got another win. They're still undefeated. And Christian, they've had a very good start to the year and they have to be now that one of those top teams that the rest of the pack are chasing. Yeah, I think a few people are still a bit uncertain as to if they can keep this consistency up for the whole year. I think definitely we're expecting now to make finals, but in terms of what are, what's their ceiling, what are they really capable of you know, achieving this season? Because we saw in the back end of last season that sort of momentum that they gained they were a very dangerous team. You know, the defensive line, defensive unit was rock solid, same as this season. They've carried that forward. The attack, obviously, yeah, Borello's gone down. But, I mean, they've still got, you know, a lot of talent, obviously, all around the field. We've seen that even last season. And, you know, they've got a few pieces together in the off season. They've worked on, obviously, you know, the weaknesses 
the weaknesses in um, the preseason camp, as they call it, that Rudan um, undertook with the team. And yeah, it's paying dividends so far. So let's see if they can keep it up. Something very interesting that the last five Sydney Derbies have been won by the away side. It's wow. I find that wild considering the atmospheres we yeah. talk about. They don't seem to be helping the home side whatsoever. All Apparently the they Sydney, love an away day. All of the Sydney Derbies last year won by the away side and now the first one this year won by the away side. It's just mind-blowing if you ask me. That's crazy. Very interesting indeed. Okay, moving on now. Central Coast Mariners 3, Newcastle Jets 1. Uh, of course, and Chris and I talked about last week this game was supposed to be played at McDonald Jones Stadium. Uh, it wasn't in the end. It was moved to Gosford in a, in a fixture exchange so they could play on a better quality pitch. Uh, Antonis, we talk about stadiums and, and having ones that we can use reliably when we want to and just having a surface that is suitable for football. Don't even worry about the amount of seats that are in the stands. This ha- this is just a bare necessity that we have to have. Yeah, look, and I feel like we need to stop playing nice. It feels like we already have the short straw in Australia playing in a lot of stadiums that are not designed for our league or our clubs and the product feels it. So I'm going to go to Brisbane quickly and talk about how 9,000 people is actually a solid crowd, but when you put it at Suncorp, it looks quite pathetic. And people say it was still a good atmosphere. Well, watching it from the TV, I wouldn't have known. And good luck getting people to tune in to that. But, okay, we'll deal with that. It's our reality. When you have pictures that affect our product, then we have a problem. And affecting not just our product, you mentioned it. Within a week, we had to swap our derbies around. People have to take days off, say, oh, I need to attend it now because it's a home game. It's not good enough. You can't do that. We are. We should be at a point that we should be able to go to these grounds and say, look, we pay the same amount to lease this venue as this singer, as these motorbikes, as whatever else you have there. We need this as the top quality for our league. If you can't provide it, you need to financially compensate us here. I think we're at that point, and I think this is a very reasonable thing to talk about, to work into contracts, to do whatever, because it's just not good enough. And we have to, as a league, as a code, start standing up for ourselves because it feels like this is an ever-going argument that every year we're going to talk about at some stage because some game is going to be played at some absolute paddock that has no business hosting professional football and tomorrow's Socceroos and Matildas. And... You know, you get to the point where you just get sick of it. Mm, so after the uh, the Brisbane-Perth game, the, the co-chief executives of the PFA released a statement. They said the playing surface at Suncorp Stadium for Brisbane Royals doubleheader against Adelaide United and Perth Glory was unacceptable. The high-quality playing surface is a precondition for A-League's matches to safeguard the quality of the product for fans and the health and safety of players. With further non-sporting events scheduled throughout the season, the issue requires swift action. A longer-term strategy for government investment or club acquisition of boutique stadia is required to ensure the sport can protect the product and enhance the match day experience. Christian, it feels like we've been talking this forever, but you know we, we see the Brisbane example, as Antonis mentioned. It's great that they're back in Brisbane. It makes games more accessible for fans. 9,000, as he said, is a great number for the Brisbane Roar. That should not be scoffed at. But you look at Suncorp Stadium and you see how empty it is. That's not what we want Brisbane Raw games to look like. No, 100% agree. It's At the end of the day, it's about the product. You know, you can't have, like Antonio said, you're at 9,000 people there, but 
you know, watching it from afar on TV, you know, you don't get that same that same vibe, that same feeling as you would maybe in the stadium. Maybe it is a bit of a different atmosphere. But, I mean, in terms of the pitch as well, with the dub, that was their first game at Suncorp this season. So, obviously, you know, they haven't played in, what, two, three home games to start the season. They've obviously, you know, decided Suncorp on Sunday. Why couldn't they just wait an extra week? Apparently, they were supposed to play, I've heard this, um, I can't remember where I saw it, it might have been actually Costa Jaric, the LA United assistant, I posted that video on Twitter in the first place. This game was actually, a week or two ago, was supposed to be at Ballymore, but apparently Ballymore was even worse. So I don't know what war-torn pitch they've got at Ballymore, but God forbid if it was worse than this. But is this really... You know, and we talk about World Cup legacy, especially in Queensland. Uh, this is your World Cup legacy. This is your reality. Because there are, I know for a fact, there are future Matildas on that pitch that played there. And when we're averaging an ACL a week of the A-League women's season, playing on that, isn't it? Some of the players slipping over, even in the men's, the women's, so it was just scary. But and they, the women had to play after the men. So after 90 minutes of football were played... They had to go out there again. It's it's mind-boggling. Exactly. But to pick this time for a double header when surely you had people inspecting the pitch, I know it's it's a headache saying, you know, sort of cancelling the fixture, what, a couple of days, a few days beforehand. People have obviously bought tickets. They've planned for it. But at the end of the day, player safety, player welfare comes first, and I don't care what anyone else says. And when can we, at what point, can we get two clubs to sit together after inspecting a pitch and saying, this isn't it. I don't, we don't care what the APL says, referee says, we are deciding a joint decision, we're not playing there. Cold channel 10, call all the channels, make it an issue, make it a real issue. Uh, it was great to see channel 10 actually call it out after the men's game about playing on that because that's the host broadcaster. Make it an issue because unless you embarrass them, unless you give them a PR disaster, Nothing's going to happen. And we were sitting here a couple of weeks ago talking about where the Matildas might play their Olympic qualifiers in February, asking if, you know, three to seven days was enough time to turn around a Taylor Swift concert. These concerts at some corporate were at the start of the month. We had Paul McCartney on the 1st and there was another on the 8th as well. That's like 18 days from their concert to when this match was played, right? That is enough time, surely has to be enough time to get the pitch up to standard, but it wasn't. It wasn't even close. And there's no sporting codes, I believe, that were playing on the pitch, you know, in between those 18 or so days you said. Because obviously NRL, that's all done. I mean, what else is possibly playing there? I don't think there was anything. It's mind-boggling how we still accept this. You need to draw a line in the sand there and say, we are not accepting this anymore. We cannot. These are, you know, this is investment in our future and you're making them play in, in this. It's... Someone has to make a decision, you know? It's not, it's awful. The Brisbane Roar will return to Suncorp this Friday to play the Western Sydney Wanderers. So we'll, we'll see what happens if the pitch quality improves, uh, if the clubs, you know, don't want to play, if the APL will move the fixture. I'm sure all three of those uh, are options, but stadiums, uh, stadium quality at the moment is just not good enough. Um, Antonis, we'll move to the football uh, and we'll go to the F3 derby. 
Will Wilson, I know you were speaking about him. He's moved up there from Melbourne Victory. He got his first goal of the season for the Mariners uh, in a good win, their first win for the season. What have you liked about him? Um, yeah, I'm really a really big fan of Will Wilson, and I was a bit shocked to see him walk away from Victory after actually signing a contract there. But we've seen what the Mariners can do for this, I guess, underappreciated young talents. I have been a bit caught off with him playing a lot wider than he usually uh, finds himself. So, yeah, it was good to see him get into the position and what a fantastic finish that was. Uh, But, yeah, I would like to see him a bit more centrally because I believe he does his best work there. But slowly he's showing that he can contribute out wide as well. But, yeah, it's just another talented player. We've got so many, if it was around the league, that around that age are showing just what they're capable of. So it's great to see him find his footing in a new team, new coach. And again, it the results haven't quite been there. And sometimes play, young players can be hit hard by that, their confidence. So it's good to see him, I guess, persist and get his reward for it. And Christian, another player that I think, despite Central Coast's poor start to the A-League season at least, Jacob Farrell, I thought he's, he's been playing exceptionally well in the AFC Cup. He's been given so much more license to move forward and join attacking movements as well. And some of that has started to filter through to his A-League performances as well. Yeah, definitely. You can obviously see the potential um, he's got in his game and I'm sure he's going to be growing into the future as a you know top prospect. But I mean, even the impact of someone like Alu Kual, I think a couple of weeks ago, I was mentioning how it's important for him to start as many games as possible. I think he's a real crucial piece in that side. I mean, even so, they've got a lot of talent and ability besides those two. You've got you know, Tulio, Torres, Theo Harris, who came off the bench. You know, they can also create a spark, which is why, obviously, like you guys have mentioned, it's a bit strange that, you know, Saturday was their first win of the season. But, you know, this obviously has to be a platform now to, I guess, really grow into the season because, you know, they've shown what they're capable of over the full 90 minutes. It's just about, you know, putting it together with the team and obviously a bit of chop and change in the off-season. But, yeah, hopefully they can get it together. And we keep talking about these young players. It's been a theme of the league so far for the first two months. But Archie Goodwin as well, from a Newcastle Jets perspective, Antonis, he's had a horrible run with injury the last few years. He's always been highly rated, one of Newcastle's own, and he came on and scored a really nice goal. Yeah, look, I... Uh... I just hope he gets himself right because we're going to be robbed of a natural goal scorer if he just can't stay on the pitch because he feels how many minutes has he actually played and how many goals he scored. He must be averaging something ridiculous. And in a team that hasn't been a world beater when it comes to the A-League. So, yeah, it's. I just hope he can get himself fit. He hasn't been able to get a proper run at it, but any time he sees the pitch, it feels like he makes an impact. And the Jets were very lifeless for the majority of this game. It was very disappointing to see. But the minute he came on, it felt like something changed. You know, he obviously pounced the error to bring him a goal back, but the Jets had so much more going for them with him on the pitch. So, yeah, I just hope we can see him fit not just for the league and Australian football, but for the Newcastle region. He is one of their own, and we just haven't seen too much talent come from Newcastle recently. So to have a talent like that, it's so important to have him as the face of your region to kind of inspire or to showcase your region and what's possible to come from that pipeline. So very, very important that we can get him fit and firing. 
I wanted to ask Antonis, just are you a bit concerned about the inconsistency around the Jets and, you know, how concerned should they be? Uh, they're still figuring out who they are. And I guess if you ask the majority of us, I don't know about you guys, but certainly me, I wasn't expecting fireworks from them to come in to this season. I actually think they've been solid a lot of the first few weeks. Obviously a bad loss to victory, but there seemed to be a bit about them. But again, I was very disappointed with how they showed up for this star because I don't know about you, but if my rivals who just won a championship have entered this season playing shockingly and I'm looking a bit better now, I'd be wanting to go into their home and pile on the misery. I'd be proactive. I'd be the one fighting. And it just kind of fell very flat. It never felt like in the first hour or so that Central Coast was under any real duress. They felt like they knew what they were doing. They were managing this game. So, yeah, I was very disappointed with that. And, again, you're going to have your ups and downs, new coach as well. Again, I don't think anyone's tipping them to make the six. I just want to see some progression from them this year and some consistency just to find out who they are and how they want to play it. As long as we see some of these things from this season, I'm willing to call the season success for Newcastle. And let's not forget, they're on the edges of the six right now, which is huge for them. Yeah, you're right. They are on the edge of the six. The the edge is a little thicker than they would probably like. There's two points separating first to sixth, then a four-point gap from MacArthur to Newcastle, and then a two-point gap to the bottom of the table. So hopefully we don't we see those uh, groups mesh a little bit as the, the season moves forward. Too early days, though. They, they always do. There's always a big pack that within a couple of weeks can be anywhere from like third to tenth. And it's crazy, right? Like I said in the intro, Victory and MacArthur still undefeated, but they're fifth, fifth and sixth. Keep racking up draws. Even last season, the ladder congestion, it was pretty, you know, pretty tight between, I forgot what it was from the top of my head, maybe fourth or fifth to tenth. It was pretty tight. But last year, Western United went from one spoon yeah. possibilities yeah. to nearly playing finals in the last month. So again, it's a two-week league, you know, in two weeks, you can be on top of the world or absolutely garbage. So... And we still have Sydney and City in that bottom four as well, who will come good at some point in the year. Played how many rounds now? Four or five? We've got about 20, 22 rounds. So yeah. plenty yeah. to play out there. Brisbane Raw 2, Perth Glory 1. Uh, they did play football uh, on the mud patch. And uh, Antonis, I think Brisbane Raw are actually one of the most exciting teams to watch in the competition at the moment. I think they've got Henry Hall, who scored the opener for them, young guy playing uh, in midfield. Jay O'Shea has been class in the A-League for a number of years now. They've, of course, got Tom Waddingham, who lit up the Australia Cup. We haven't quite seen him transfer that form into A-League men's just yet, but plenty to be excited about. We know about their off-field as well. They seem to be growing as an organisation, and there's just a lot of excitement at the Brisbane Roar at the moment. Yeah, it just it's a side that knows how it wants to play. It feels like everyone's bought into Ross's message and yeah, they're playing with confidence. And again, it's just a shame about all these other things that we're talking about, the Queensland football scene that doesn't help them, but they're doing all they can on the pitch. The squad hasn't changed massively from last year, which I guess is credit to Ross and what he's doing because he's got them transformed. And Look, um, when you look at the other side of the pitch with Perth, it feels like the opposite. A new coach over there that's still figuring out how he wants to play, who can play his way. And yeah, it kind of felt like it was a bit inevitable throughout the game that Brisbane was going to open the scoring. They had a couple of disallowed goals. They went close a couple of times. 
So, yeah, it felt like they controlled this match and played the football they wanted to play and got the points at home, which is always great because you want to be winning these games. You want people to start returning, get the word out that Brisbane is back in Brisbane. You know, they're no longer a red cliff. And, of course, it could have been more as well. Cameron Cook had a pretty good game in goals for Perth Glory. Christian, where do we sit on, on Perth? Because Alan Stadgic has come in and, you know, we know his value as a coach, but they haven't had the results to start the year. They're, I think they're spending this week actually still over on the East Coast before they play Sydney FC at Allianz. And that's it's a lot of work for the Perth Glory and they're not getting a lot of results from it just yet. Yeah, it's been a bit up and down, like a couple of teams you've already mentioned, you know, throughout the season. Obviously, yeah, you mentioned Stadgers has come in, tried to implement his ideas. Usually when he does arrive at a new team, you know, for Mariners, like example, it's he's sort of um, got his team to play the way he wants to pretty early on. But I think now with Perth, you're seeing he's going to probably need a bit more time. You know, you've got guess Adam Taggart's the main, you know, standout. Oliver Bozanic, you know, these types of plays are really going to have to try and, you know, string some sort of good performances to get, try and, you know, carry this team forward. There's a, a few youngsters in there as well. So, yeah, I mean, I don't expect them to make finals. Uh, I don't think top six is in the equation for them, but I think it should be seen as a season of growth and sort of a progression phase in a sense just to, yeah, I guess build on, for you know the next couple of seasons. Okay, moving on now to the Friday night fixture, MacArthur FC won Melbourne victory one. Christian uh, MacArthur got uh, the goal early in this game to take the one 0 lead. Melbourne victory chasing hard. They got a red card, Adama Traore two yellows. I don't know about you, but I couldn't really tell if the graphic wasn't up on the top left screen saying victory had a red card. I don't think I would have noticed because they were completely dominant towards the second half of this game as well. They really, really struggled to break down MacArthur and find the equaliser. But at the end of everything, points are shared. Yeah, get another cracking atmosphere in Campbelltown with a few cowbells ringing attendance. I mean, <laughs> nah, in all seriousness, it's such a disadvantage to not have you know that real home support behind you. Whereas, you know, Victory, on the other hand, they've got that every time at Amy Park. So, I mean, yeah, I thought especially seeing MacArthur sort of drop deep and trying to absorb that pressure after they got that early goal, um, Miller finished it well. In a way, it sort of sucked the life out of the game, I thought. You know, albeit, you know, their counterattacking game was actually quite exciting to watch. You know, going forward, they sort of spread the victory defense apart. They were finding little pockets of spaces, moving the ball quickly. It was, yeah, it was actually good to watch, but... You know, even then it was, you know, victory, like you said, Lockie, dominated most of the game, even after the red card, like you said, which I don't think you can have many complaints with Troy. He got two yellow cards in the space of about, well, three, four minutes. So I don't think you can sort of argue with both of them. I mean, the second one, you know you're on a yellow. Why raise your boot like that? You know you're going to be in danger. I mean, for a player of his experience, he should be knowing better. But even after that, you know, Obviously, they dug themselves a hole and, yeah, they dominated, like I said. But, again, it's not being able to take your chances, like I've been saying, since, you know, what was it, day one of the season. You know, it's just that lack of cutting edge in the final third where, you know, even MacArthur, they had a few chances laid on as well, which they probably should have buried a couple. Uh, but, yeah, in the end, there was um, an own goal, which uh, Bruno Fornaroli decided to, to claim. But, obviously, from the replay uh, but yeah, nowhere near. He didn't even get a touch on it. Uh, but yeah, obviously, I think Tony Popovich definitely he'll be 
stoked, I guess, in the way to come away with that with a point having been, you know, 10 men down. If you look at the performance and say, yeah, okay, we're down 10 men, but look, we still we still played our football. And like you said, Lockie, it was like it was 11 v 11. I mean, yeah, some positive signs, uh, point to point away from home. Um, and yeah, they'll move forward. It, it was funny listening to Bruno in his post-match interview, really discouraging everyone from watching the replay in that final <laughs> goal. He just wanted to write his own name in the scorebook and move on with it. But it's really, Vornaroli is an interesting case because obviously he scored those four first half goals against the Jets. And, he, you know, he, he was really, how do I put this? He had plenty of chances in this game. He got set up three times in the first half by Daniel Lazzani, two at least would be considered big chances that he should have put away and didn't. He's going a little bare at the front for Melbourne victory as well. But Antonis, from a MacArthur point of view, Christian mentioned that their, their counter-attacking play was actually quite good. But that wasn't where their goal came from in this game. It was actually from build-up. And if a MacArthur goal is going to come through build-up, it's going to come from one man, Davila. And he was exceptional in this game. He moved through defences with ease. And then the ball he plays through for Miller, it's spectacular. Yeah, look, when MacArthur's on, they're actually extremely watchable. They transition very well, and that build-up was sublime. And like you said, that through ball, and it feels like Matt Miller is probably one of the most competent fullbacks in the final third of the pitch when it comes to being in front of goals. He feels like he gets around him quite a bit. But again, they're very watchable going forward, and it feels like that's the way he set them up to play. I just don't feel like that defence is there quite yet. Um, again, they're held up until the end. But again, there's a couple of suspect names back there that make me worry when they come up against some of the top uh, front lines in the league. And Victory actually created quite a bit, which we don't talk about. But again, Victory's got a bit of an epidemic of not being able to finish their own chances. We've seen that it's been the theme of this season so far. And it was also the theme of last season. Um, other things get remembered last season about how they fell apart. But, you know, they actually were all right. They just couldn't finish last season. And it just snowballed into something uglier. And you just don't want to see that happen this season. So, yeah, for them, I guess it's crucial to start converting those chances because, it's just, it's been the frustration for them so far this season. Otherwise, they'd be undefeated and then being talked about as a team near the Wanderers, not MacArthur. I think the turning point in this game was the unbelievable goal line clearance from Damien De Silva. That was perhaps the moment where, you know, Victor believed there was something still in it for them. You know, perhaps that probably gave him a bit of confidence, knowing, okay, we're still in this, you know, things may be falling our way because, you know, like we said, MacArthur missed those couple of chances and, yeah, they were able to capitalise in the end. The off-field uh, news for the Bulls on Monday afternoon is that their AFC Cup fixture against Shan United has been moved from Campbelltown to Bangkok, of all places. Uh, the club were told last Thursday that the, the Myanmar side, their players wouldn't be granted entry visas into Australia by the federal government. So they very quickly worked at a solution to get the game played to avoid any potential sanctions from the AFC. So BG Patham United FC, uh, they'll be playing at their stadium in Thailand. Antonis, disappointing for the MacArthur fans. Like you said, it's disappointing for the fans, but I'm just thinking as a player, you know, you're thinking, Oh, we've got a midweek game. I can't put outside. They're going to say, you know what? We're going to fly you to Thailand. <laughs> so I reckon a few players will be quite happy with that. Maybe others, maybe some of the senior ones 
having to go away from the family may not be as happy. But yeah, it's it's just the reality of the world we live in today, unfortunately. Um, Myanmar, with the I guess the political situation or with what's happening the last couple of years, obviously not a place that the Australian government approves of. So it was always going to be a bit hard to get the visas in. And I'm glad they're not going for the 3-0 forfeit because it's obviously nothing that the club can actually control. It extends over the club. So, again, it's it throws off the scheduling a bit. And now we've got a Monday night game and someone like Adelaide United once again cops a short end of the stick with a shorter break. But you just have to do it sometimes. You know, you have to live with the reality. Carl Veer talked about it a couple of weeks ago before Melbourne City, that these are representatives in Asia. We have to help them get their best showing out there. And if it means moving a few games around, what can you do? It's just the luck or the lack of luck of the draw. So what do you do? I'm just glad that the game is still going to go ahead. Um, as you say, Antonis, so MacArthur's uh, Sunday afternoon fixture against Adelaide United will be moved to Monday night, 7 p.m., uh, we know Nest is going to Germany to play in the Bundesliga, but the question is, can he do it on a Monday night in Campbelltown? <laughs> you know what? I bloody hope so, because no one else from Adelaide United has been able to do it in recent years. That's been the Adelaide United's annual smashing the last few years. There's been a couple of four-goal games, if I remember, and Adelaide United has never been on the right side of them. So, yeah, hopefully Nesta can do it, because no one else has been able to do it recently. So, yeah, I hope we skip that annual humiliation it's a bit more level wellington phoenix won melbourne city nil now and christian the story out of this game is alex polson he's had a terrific start to his uh, a-league career two penalties saved on the year he's got a three-year contract to extend his time as well but yeah, the great game, the penalty save, the one-hander in like the 96th minute to claim the ball to, to wrap up the game for probably City's best chance of the game. But Wellington go equal top now with Western Sydney Wanderers. It hasn't always been pretty for Phoenix, especially when they've been playing away from home. But they obviously have a game plan. They can stick to it well. And Italiano has got this team sitting at top of the A-League. Yeah, gee, I'll tell you what. Oh, Italiano, definitely working wonders with this Wellington side at the moment. You know, hats off to him, obviously, you know. The way he's been able to, I guess, get his ideas across in such a you know, short amount of time you know, to get you know, five games undefeated now sitting second in the table for, you know, let's be honest, no real expectation you know, heading into the season, which is awesome to see. And, you know, they continue their good run against you know, City side, obviously still slowly finding their feet again under Rulio Vidma. Um, I know City had far better the greater the opportunities in front of goal, but like you mentioned, Lockie, Ed Pulse, and he was incredible, just the outstanding saves he produced. I mean, that fingertip save over the bar with the free kick, I think it was towards the end of the first half. Unreal. And then obviously, like he touched on the McLaren penalty, it was just everything going his way. I think it's going to be a bit of a competition between him and Joe Gauci for the the Golden Glove this season. I think it's going to be a two-horse race. But yeah, I mean, even McLaren, the penalty miss, I mean, he's having a bit of an off-season so far. I mean, for his standards, obviously, we've mentioned before, he's won the golden boot countless times. So, you know, hopefully for his sake and the team, he finds a bit of form, you know, heading into the rest of the season. But yeah, I mean, to, yeah, the game being Cray have scored, he broke the deadlock, um, you know, took the initiative, great finish, obviously some great build-up play, which is obviously, again, it's all Italiano's work, you know, building out from the back, just, you know, 
creating that identity within the team, which is good to see. Um, and then there was a 10-second epic goal line scramble. You know, it summed the game up perfectly. Uh, but, yeah, it was a huge result uh, for the Knicks at home. Good crowd as well in a you know small, confined sort of stadium where we've been stressing about you know, getting more of those stadiums, stadium like, you know, instead of, you know, 50,000 not being able to fill it. I thought the atmosphere was great. Uh, and yeah, they're really looking good, the Knicks. And Tennis, I'm, I'm not sure about you, but it felt almost eerie that in the week that Auckland were confirmed as the next uh, expansion team in the A-League, Wellington had their, you know, yearly visit up there to do some reach outreach work. And all of a sudden they're creating a very good football product for the city that will be their arch rivals next year. Uh, they'll still market themselves, I think, as New Zealand's team regardless. <laughs> so I reckon they're still going to have some fans in Auckland, but after this year, they'll only be there as the enemies. So, yeah, I guess sending them off happy. But again, talking about Alex Paulson and our contract extension as well, the big thing about this is he is an Auckland boy. So to secure Interesting. him... To secure him is very big. And I think, was it Ben Old as well that extended, if I'm not wrong? I think he's an Auckland boy as well. So they're getting the business done with the people that are geographically located at the top of the North Island <laughs> very early because obviously I know he's coming in. But yeah, it's a very important time for the Phoenix to be, I guess, extremely competent because they're going, Auckland's going to come in. They're going to be knocking on every door in New Zealand. It's suddenly... It's no longer a one, oh, it's not a town, it's a, no longer a one team country. <laughs> You're going to have another professional team who probably will have more resources than you when probably. we see who's going to be owning them. So you really have to, I guess, establish yourself while you can as New Zealand's team and ensure they have to catch up to you rather than the other way around when it starts. But yeah, it's... Really intriguing me, this rivalry. I don't think many people outside New Zealand kind of know what to expect, but knowing a few New Zealanders, I'm really excited for this. Uh, and Christian, just on a final football point for Phoenix as well, no Oscar Zavada in this game. Wellington fans might have been a little bit worried about how they look without him, but their other international steps up, Krayev scores a goal, that has to relieve a few fears. Yeah, obviously, like you said, there would have been a a few slight concerns that Zavada wasn't in the squad. But besides that, I mean, they, they still created the chances. They were still, we're still watching the same team as you were a few weeks ago to what the start of the season. Like you say, you know, they've got the likes of you know, Barbarousas, you know, they've got Ball up front. They were combining well together, uh, created a few opportunities. So, I mean, yeah, it shows that, yeah, they've got a bit of depth, you know, not just going forward, but obviously all around the pitch, uh, which is going to be obviously crucial heading into the final series, which I think we all expect them to to make. All right, final game of the round now, Western United 1, Adelaide United 3. This is the second of Western's three-game span down at Mars Stadium in Ballarat. Antonis, it was a good bounce back from Adelaide United after their throbbing from Sydney a couple of weeks ago. Carl Viet went uh, even younger than he usually does with this lineup. Ibasuki came out for Jovanovic. Had a great game. I thought looked really sharp. Got his goal as well to, to polish off the game at the end. You must be quite happy. Yeah, look, after a defeat like that, you have to wake up. Like it's, There's no two ways about it. It has to be a response. And yeah, it's they played a very good game, but I do also feel they came across a side that's 
low on confidence, but they also played in Adelaide United's hands a little bit. Right from the beginning, I pointed out that a minute and a half or two minutes in, Adelaide United already caught them on a break in the counter-attack, and Ben Halloran was denied with a really good save. So I was thinking, oh my God, already? Like, Adelaide United, Carl Vietz, Adelaide United has lived off that the last few years. So already you saw that this game was going to be played like at a basketball pace, back and forth and back and forth. And yeah, United, Western United has been able to create much this year. They did create a lot later on in that game, but it was after Adelaide United had taken and then retaken the lead. And they were in a position of power to kind of suck them in and allow them the ball. And it must be right up there with the amount of blocks in that game that we've seen in the league before. There were so many blocks by the Adelaide United defence. Because Western United came and came hard in that second half. But yeah, the Reds just didn't allow anything other than that first goal, that scrappy goal that was conceded. After that, the defending was quite solid. And yeah, it felt for how Adelaide United operates pretty routine at the end of the day, which... I guess is a compliment to give when you're fielding six players under the age of 23. It's a very good win away from home in a stadium that I don't believe anyone that team has ever played. One of the uh, beautiful nuances of our game is the art of the social media admin announcing uh, the opposition scoring goal in a live <laughs> Twitter feed. <laughs> Tonis, I know you're laughing because you see this, but the Western United admin was uh, quite optimistic about what he saw from Adelaide on the on the weekend. Adelaide, I think I think they put their like second or third goal in. Oh, second goal, second. that's what it was. Second goal. And going for Adelaide have regained the league in this game has accidentally put Adelaide regained the league, which I thought was very optimistic indeed. Maybe a bit too early, Antonis? Yeah, I don't know. It's very optimistic calling it in November, but yeah, fair game, fair play to them. <laughs> Other than if they think, I don't know, if they're calling like that Adelaide United is going to take over the league from the APL, which will also be very interesting, will really help my hashtag SA great campaign. But yeah, it's Interesting times. I would have loved to see the look on their face when they realized that post had got like 20x their <laughs> average engagements. But you know what? Like, they didn't delete it. <laughs> no respect, like, like, yeah. I took a screenshot just so I could have it because I, I had a feeling it was not going to last long. But then, like, 10 minutes later, I go back and it's like, oh my God, they just kept it. I'm like, all right, no problem. But yeah, I don't know. Whenever United wins a championship again, I'm going back and retweeting that and saying they called it. It's like your Simpsons predicted everything thing, A-League version. Uh, in other news overnight, we learned of the passing of Terry Venables, who was a former Socceroos boss. He passed away aged 80 after a long illness, most well-known around the world as England manager from 1994 to 1996 including a run to the semi-finals of Euro 96 on home soil. He then took over Australia. He was in charge during uh, Australia's Confederations Cup campaign, where we reached the final in 1997 and, of course, got ever so close to qualifying us for a World Cup uh, with that infamous playoff against Iran. Christian, none of us three were really around to see his reign over Australia, but from what I've seen today, plenty of, you know, no one really seems to have a bad word to say about him. And at the end of the day, he's part of this Australian football story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was reading some comments on social media, some posts and tributes flowing in for him. I mean, yeah, nothing but 
kind words, uh, some great stories that people have shared. You know, some are calling him the best manager that players have you know played under. I mean, I saw Gary Neville um, commented something similar. So that just strikes me as you know someone obviously who's a great man manager, someone who you know respects their players, someone who the players can you know look up to, you know, for advice and just yeah, from the stories of. I've read so far, just, yeah, really humbling person. And, yeah, just obviously a sad loss because, like you said, obviously part of the Socceroos history who was former coach and, yeah, sad news. And Tonus? Yeah, 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 just reflecting on what Christian's saying, it's not often in the football that there's someone that you don't hear negative words from. There's always usually a story or two that are flying around. But you've heard so much positive about him, but again, you look at the timeline, and we were speaking about this off air. He actually stuck around after that, for after falling to Iran. And usually, like a foreign manager, you'd see them the minute that happens when you haven't qualified for the World Cup, both sides part ways. But I guess that tells you a bit about the character of the man there as well, and also how I guess right after that, Australian football basically built that golden generation. But it felt like it was the first time in many years since our first World Cup that we started seeing Australian football, I guess, blossom again and seeing it as a possibility that we could make it there. And he will always be the manager that, I guess, was there for that. But another lovely post I saw actually this morning, I don't know if you guys saw it as well, not Socceroos related, but um, Terry Venables being lifted up by Barcelona players after making the uh, winning a semi final of a European competition, and then a young Pep Guardiola looking up at him like some sort of god. And little did you know that about what is it like 15 20 years later, he'd be coaching like the best Barcelona side in history yeah. <laughs> with the best player in history. So, uh, pretty special to see. And again, with English managers, usually we see them stay in that safe confined zone of England. He did anything but that. So, yeah, you know, you've got the Barcelonas in there, you've got the Socceroos on there. So, yeah, very glad that he was part of our football story and that we're a part of his. That will do for this episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast. Uh, Christian Montagan, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Lockie. And Antonis Paganus, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. We'll be back tomorrow with a dub review. Thank you all for listening. Goodbye.